From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome. We here at the Wealth DNA Radio Show, you're honored that you're joining us today. Whether you're on the U.S. West Coast or in Arizona, you're sipping a cup of coffee, the East Coast getting ready for lunch in Europe, sipping a glass of wine, or you're somewhere in between, or maybe you're listening to the archive of the show, I know you'll be glad you joined us for this one. In the U.S., most kids have a day off from school to commemorate Columbus Day, and this will be a perfect show to have them join you around the radio player. And thank you for putting up my hoarse voice. Unfortunately, it's a little bit better than it was a few days ago, but I may have to take advantage of the mute button every once in a while to uh, cough or clear my throat. My apologies for that. Now, on the Wealth DNA Radio Show, we focus on the fundamentals of investing and providing great ideas for building your wealth. Today, we're kicking off a special series of shows on financial literacy, which will focus on building our wealth and for us to help others to do the same. Our guest is one of the individuals who was a true pioneer in the area of financial literacy. See, 20 years ago, while many of us were furthering our own career to strive for financial independence, she had the foresight to realize that most people get no guidance on how to get started on that path of wealth building and dedicated her career to helping others to get started on the right path. Now, I'd like to start out by sharing a quote to set the tone for today's show. Selecting one, unfortunately, was not so easy this time since I found at least 10 quotes, 10 within my list of favorites, that fit perfectly with this in each of the shows in this series on financial literacy. The quote I selected, the keys to wealth increase business skills, investing skills, money management skills, by Robert Kiyosaki. Now, let me, remember, let me repeat that one. The keys to the wealth are increasing your business skills, investing skills, money management skills. That quote is from the book Retire Young, Retire Rich by Robert Kiyosaki, another well-known pioneer in financial literacy. Now, the last two weekends, I spent an incredible number of hours to complete my U.S. personal taxes, which are due in two days. Undoubtedly, they're far more complex than 98% of the people have to deal with, since I have a company, hold a major stake in an S-corporation, stakes in a number of limited partnerships, as well as having an office and accounts overseas. A lot of real estate holdings within that S-corp, so as a result, tax deductions are a little bit unpredictable until you really get moving. All those hours made me realize I should plan a show before year-end on some of my favorite strategies available under the tax laws that most people are not aware of. As always, I welcome your suggestions on techniques for income tax management. There are sometimes referred to as loopholes, but generally they're called that by the people who wish they knew about them earlier. Now, did you pick up on my comment some of the strategies available under the tax laws that most people are not aware of. Just like the quote from Robert Kiyosaki I shared, one of the keys to building wealth is having the right skills. To build those skills requires knowledge in these areas, so to take full advantage of the tax code, you have to understand it. Now, as a good example, let me choose a key lesson from one of the books I'm sure each of you read. And after all, it is one of the first and most important books to increase financial literacy, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, written by Robert Kiyosaki and Sharon Lecter. Now, when I said that, I just realized I hadn't mentioned who our guest is today. It's Sharon Lecter. Yes, the co-author of that and many other books in the Rich Dad series. Now, the key lesson from that book I wanted to share before we bring on our guest, they recommended each of us to have a company that we use for our wealth-building activities. Now, do you remember why? Under the U.S. tax laws, and of course the tax laws of the majority of other countries, anything we do in our personal name is taxed based on gross income. So if I earn $10,000 a year, let's say, on interest on a private mortgage loan I hold, that 10000 of income would be taxed at my marginal tax rate. 
if instead that private mortgage loan were owned by my company, then only the net profit would be taxed at the marginal tax rate. The expenses for my office, car, meetings, seminars, marketing, accounting, you name it, would be deducted from that $10,000 before being taxed. Now, I specifically chose a private mortgage loan since it's not a simple example of this. It's considered passive income in my personal name, but my company's profits are subject to self-employment tax. So even knowing that key lesson from the book, to take it full advantage, you first, well, of course, you have to implement the strategy, and then you have to get to know the tax effects to ultimately have the right assets in your company and in your personal name. Monday, uh, today is Monday, uh, October 13, 2014. As I mentioned, it happens to be Columbus Day in the U.S. It's 9.05 in Arizona and uh, a.m., of course, and the Pacific West Coast, since the U.S. is still on daylight savings time. It's the only ever day ever like it, so we'll do everything possible to make it a great one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Rod Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. Now, if you didn't receive a reminder of the show, you might want to connect with us on Twitter or Facebook where we post reminders. Just connect with The Ronald, put together in a single word. We'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this great information with you. Now, I certainly hope you can join us each time we air it, but if you miss a show, you can find them on the archives. Just go to wealthdna.us, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. We welcome your comments and questions during the show. I recommend using the chat window below the radio player because of the amount of information we're going to try to cover in this short period of time. But you also can call in. The call-in number is 917-388-4162, which is also shown at the top of the Internet screen. By the way, the U.S. equity markets are off after a very bumpy decline for the last three weeks. are off to a negative start today. Asia was mixed. Europe just closed up, and Brazil is up very sharply, over 4% a few minutes ago. And as far as I know, that's election-related. Now, our special guest to discuss financial literacy, past, present, and future, is Sharon Lecter. She's a CPA, founder of CEO, founder and CEO excuse me, of Pay Your Family First. She's the former CEO of the Rich Dad Company for over 10 years, prolific author, or co-author of about 19 books by my count, and hopefully we'll get my number corrected, and developer of the cash flow board game. That should be in every home. As a member of the uh, First President's Advisory Council on Financial Literacy, Sharon Lecter served President Bush and President Obama. It was appointed to the National CPA Financial Literacy Commission as a national spokesperson on this topic of financial education. Last year, she was instrumental in passage of Arizona's Senate Bill 1449. If you don't know what those bills stand for, well, this one is adding personal finance courses as a requirement from graduating from high school. Wow. Let's give a warm radio welcome to Sharon Lecter. Welcome, Sharon, and thank you for joining us today. Oh, I'm delighted to be with you, Ron. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for providing this show of incredible content. Well, we try to do our best to further the cause, if you will. But I gave a brief overview of your background. How do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party? And, of course, I'm talking in the rare event that somebody doesn't already know a lot about you. Well, somebody will say, what do you do? And I go, well, I'm a grandma first. Um, <laughs> been married for 34 years. And, of course, I have dedicated my career for the last 20 years to financial education, financial literacy, and um, I hopefully develop programs that are easily affordable for people who want to take control of their own financial lives to build a financial foundation for their family and for their future. Well, I'm sure you get a lot of questions on exactly what that means because uh, when you say you know various uh, various uh, tools and programs and uh, things, people are probably thinking, well, gee, I'm not familiar with those. But anyway, I, one of your recent talks, I recall December 1992 was the magic date. It was a turning point in your career. I refer to those as kind of Kairos moments. Would you share that story with our listeners? Well, absolutely. Um, I started my career as a CPA, as you mentioned, um, a long time ago, 
um, back in the late 70s and then met my husband and got married and I was um, bitten by the entrepreneurial bug at the, about the age of 26 and started a woman's magazine and then my own children didn't like to read so I actually built the talking book industry, the children's books that have the sound strips down the side. I'm right, the invent- right, right. inventor of that technology and helped grow that around the world. And we sold that company after four years of incredible growth and moved to Arizona. Our oldest son went off to college in 1992 and came home at Christmas time, December of 1992, and told us he was in trouble in credit card debt, that he'd gotten himself $2,500 in credit card debt, in addition to having blown through $2,500 of a savings account that he wasn't even supposed to know about. So wow. he obviously had had a really good time his first semester in college, and he asked us to bail him out, and we said no. But I was really angry. I was angry at him, but I was more angry with myself because I thought I had taught him about money. I had taught mm-hmm. him the things that my parents had taught me. And when I graduated from college, I had built up $22,000 to start my life with, furnish my apartment and get mm-hmm. ready in my career. And it was just devastated to see that my son had been with me when I used my credit cards. He just wasn't with me when I paid them off every month. And right. when he got to college, they were all these tables of free pizza, free money, free T-shirts, free money. Oh, and wow. he, among with thousands of other students, you know, signed up, you know, signed the dotted line and got himself into credit card trouble. And that's really... It was a deciding, as you say, Kairos moment. It was a turning point mm-hmm. in my life. And I said, if I, you know, if I have the opportunity and the ability, I want to make sure that we limit the amount of that type of predatory um, activity on our young people, but more importantly, make sure that these kids have the education they need to succeed. Wow. And it's it's interesting as you say that I'm thinking you know all of this talk about how student uh, loan debt is such a big problem and yet uh, his wasn't a student loan issue it was uh, totally uh, you know credit cards which were kind of suggested by vendors who happen to make money on them so very very uh, interesting well, yeah uh, just to put, to, mm-hmm. the student loan debt is what's in the media now but it actually right. is exacerbated by the fact that most of these kids who have student loan debt also have credit card debt. Exactly, and that's not really mentioned because, of course, that's much more their fault, not the uh, educational institutions or the fact that they're trying to get ahead. So, um, very, very, you know, it just it's got it had to be a shocker uh, for you, especially having you know already been involved in, in in teaching kids and all of those good things. But to put that date in perspective, December of 1992 was that before you hooked up with Robert Kiyosaki? Oh, absolutely, yes. That was in 1992, December. I didn't meet uh, Robert until 96. Okay. All right. Now, before so I, we I dig started into working, the... Yeah, I started working right mm-hmm. away with school systems, trying to develop curriculum on a more local area, and um, really was taking every opportunity I could to speak to young people, to work with classes, to start teaching financial education. So you immediately got started, just you hadn't met him yet, and, and, and the whole Rich Dad thing didn't get started. So I just want to make sure that our listeners were clear on the timing here. This wasn't during that time period. It's well before. But before, before we dig into some of those specifics, would you share with our listeners how they'd learn more about you, your books, some of the many things you're working on? Is there a website that you would suggest? Oh, absolutely. Please visit my site www.sharonlector.com S-H-A-R-O-N-L-E-C-H-T-E-R or you can exactly. email me Sharon okay. at SharonLector.com Excellent, and that is uh, hopefully nobody will abuse that and send you too many emails. I know you're working on a lot of things. You don't need a lot more uh, emails than any, more, any of us do, but if there are some specifics, I really appreciate your giving that out. Let's go back to that Kairos moment for a moment. Up in that, up until that time, you were working as a CPA, what advising a number of companies on accounting, finances, and taxes. Yes, when I decided to leave public accounting back in 1979, mm-hmm. I had started my own tax practice, but that's when I really started right. building companies. And so I was using the education that I received as a CPA to really help build 
and support other companies, um, companies that my husband and I started investing in. So it was more um, really strategy and understanding the needs for making sure they had competent help in their accounting and finances and, of course, strategically helping them plan for their understand the benefit of tax planning, not just the uh, terror of taxes. <laughs> and the time consumption, as I alluded to at the intro. But what were some of your initial ideas? You said right away after that uh, Kairos moment you got started working with school. What were some of those initial ideas on how you would increase financial literacy or financial education within your own family and behind? What were, and beyond, excuse me, what, what were some of those things you uh, launched at that time? Well, I realize that most of us don't really talk about money. It's one of those taboo subjects. And so I started um, talking about the world of business. I mean, we'd be at a McDonald's or another fast food store, and, and we'd just have the conversation about the fact that the owner wasn't there because he had other people operating it, usually high school students, and that uh, there was one company supplying the straws, another company supplying the, the uh, containers the hamburgers came in, and just in, in the, the course of our everyday life start talking and then I started sharing that information with friends, and it was really interesting how it really opened people's eyes because there are a lot of parents out there who themselves were having financial difficulty. And mm-hmm. so they felt they felt um, somewhat reticent to talk about money with their kids because they didn't want their children to know that they were also um, in in financial distress. But when you can start talking about the world of money around you without making it so personal – you really give your children an opportunity to learn about it. And then, of course, if you own your own business, what an unbelievably great opportunity to involve your children so they can see the decisions that you're making, the things that you're doing to build a future. And all of a sudden, you're going to start seeing your kids um, be more invested in what you're doing because they're going to feel like they've been respected, that you're sharing with them and you're talking to them. I had one mother call me just a few months ago and say, Sharon, you know, I, I... took your advice and we sat down and talked about how we wanted to save money for family vacation and we needed to figure out how to cut down on expenses and we asked the kids for their ideas and she says now my teenagers come behind me and turn off the lights and uh, she says it's really impacting the fact that we just open it up and talk to them about it they're creative and they find ways to help us save money Cool. So really just building the awareness and, and, and doing it rather than talking about it was 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 a great uh, great examples, too. I love those. And hopefully uh, each of our listeners will start saying, hmm, I could be doing that. I mean, that sounds easy. But uh, I think you're right. Money was a taboo topic. It's going to become less so, uh, much like, like politics, I'll admit. Now, sometime after that, you, you got down, started down this path. You hooked up with Robert Kiyosaki and created what most people, and I certainly consider one of the most important series of books ever written to increase uh, financial education. How did you meet with him? Well, Robert Kiyosaki had gone in to meet with my husband, Michael Lecter, who's internationally mm-hmm. recognized as an intellectual property attorney, and he had rolled up under his arm an idea for a game drawn out on a piece of paper. And so he first met my husband, and Michael helped him get a patent um, drafted for the book. I met Robert at a beta test for the game Cash Flow, and I was the only one who got out of the rat race. And because of my background in the talking books and actually game industry, um, I was very intrigued by the product. I thought it was great. I thought it would really help me in, in my work. And so I volunteered and gave him my time to help uh, advise him on how to bring that game to fruition and how to further develop it, split it between 101 and 202. And in that process, he was talking about wanting to do a brochure for the game. And he Mm -hmm. asked me to be his partner, and we together wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And so it was actually written, the book was written as a brochure for the board game because he wanted to charge $200 for the board game, he wanted something we wanted something less expensive from a marketing perspective or something that mm-hmm, he could give mm-hmm. away. And so um, most people don't know that. And of course, we when we started hmm. when we formed the company, we were partners in the company and of course the, the quote you started the show with Retire Young, Retire Rich, that was also mm-hmm. a book that I co-authored. And so that mm-hmm. quote really belongs to both of us and Both of us, you're correct. We wrote it's 15, interesting. It's, it's mm-hmm. 
was just yeah, going to say it is, it is cited as together. Him, right? Yeah. Um, and then well, we have, well yes. And we basically, the, the book, the, we thought our brand was cash flow. And the world told us, no, 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 your brand is Rich Dad. When we wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, we didn't really have a business plan for 15 books and multiple games, multiple audio products. But um, that's, in essence, what happened. And we, our popularity exploded around the world. And we were partners for 10 years and 15 books together, multiple games and audio products as a result in 50, more than 50 languages and more than 100 countries. Wow. So when when a spouse says, hey, I'd like you to meet somebody, uh, we should probably take it seriously. You never know when it's going to be one of those next Kairos moments in your life, which uh, turned out to to launch uh, one of the the biggest uh, ventures in in this whole financial education. So great story. I love that. And even if the uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is not the best-selling financial book of all time, which it probably is, maybe you could get Guinness to list it as the uh, uh, most brochures ever sold, and that way you'd be in the Guinness book forever. (laughs) Just another idea. You never know. But I'm sure, and and it continues to sell, so it's not like something uh, that's that's a past product. I mean, it's still a great thing. It's still a gift I give to to a lot of uh, youth, and and think it's a great starting point for, for many of them. But let me remind our listeners, you're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki, and I look forward to your joining us every second and fourth Monday. If you've missed some of the prior shows, like the ones on IP protection, intellectual property, or asset protection, the shows we did um, on uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad book, or if you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of shows on WealthDNA.us. If you'd like to get an email reminder of the shows, just send an email to me, Ron at WealthDNA.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Or you can follow The Ronald, all one word, on Twitter or Facebook. Reminder, during the radio show, we welcome you, our listeners, to uh, ask some questions or make some comments. The easiest is to use the chat window below the radio player. You could call in 917-388-4162. It's also shown at the top of the screen. Our topic today is financial literacy, past, present, and future, which we're discussing with Sharon Lecter, CPA, founder and CEO of Pay Your Family First and former CEO of the Rich Dad Company. We just talked about the launch of that whole game and the book. Great story. Sharon, when you and I uh, went to grade school and high school, which uh, I guess I should share is more than two years ago, uh, I'd guess that less than 1% of schools had any courses in personal finance or investing. Would you agree with me? Oh, absolutely. And what little there was was probably um, in home ec or in some sort of class where they would teach you to balance a checkbook. And and mm-hmm. not not very many people even had that type of lesson. Agreed. I, I certainly didn't, so uh, I guess we started out on the wrong foot. Since your work in 1992, would you say that that uh, percentage, at least as one indicator, has risen? Um, absolutely, and the awareness is starting to, to pick up across the country. Certainly the the most recent recession that impacted almost everyone um, mm-hmm. really brought the awareness of the need for financial education. President Bush recognized that, which is why he put together the first President's Advisor Council on mm-hmm. Financial Literacy. But there is still so much more to do. Um, even with getting laws passed, you still need to make sure those laws get implemented and it's so important because these young people today, um, and I'm sure you're really well aware of these stats, Ron, mm-hmm. but you know the, the unemployment rate for young people is the highest it's ever been. And mm-hmm. yet a recent survey, these kids are expecting to get out of school making seventy three dollars to $140,000 a year. And so wow. the expectation is really high. The reality is very low. And so it is absolutely imperative on us as concerned adults, as parents, aunts, uncles, um, just interested in the future of the economy, we must make sure these young people are prepared with the tools they need to survive and thrive in the world that they face. And the best way to do that is to teach them how to make money on their own. Oh, excuse me, I had to use the mute button there for a second. One uh, One of those bad moments where the cough starts. You just mentioned the um, one of the worst recessions, and clearly it has been for the last over 100 years. Would you give the uh, uh, 
uh, Americans, uh, a, a, if you were give, give them a grade, and I would say it's probably a C minus or a D plus, and love to get your opinion on their readiness and resilience to the financial difficulties that they that were experienced during that recession. Uh, and secondly, is there some light at the end of the tunnel? So you're, we're, we're making some progress. Uh, I'll say probably you and, and, and people that are working with you more than anything, and, and hopefully our show a little bit. But is there some light at the end of the tunnel that in future recessions it won't be quite as bad? Well, I would agree with your C minus or D plus, and it, it scares mm-hmm. me because what's happening today, fewer and fewer people have enough savings for retirement. The shift years ago from defined benefit to defined contribution is a is a ticking time mm-hmm. bomb for people in their retirement. Certainly the stability of Social Security we hear about all the time is in question. And so the future is very uncertain. And when you combine that with what you mentioned, the fact that so many people have high student loans, um, mm-hmm. so the younger people are really mortgaging their future before they start their future. Um, so I, I'm very concerned about the future, and I'm very concerned about the ability for people to be able to, quote-unquote, have the American dream and have retirement in their future unless they wake up and start taking control of their own financial future. Um, now, Having said that, the light at the end Mm -hmm. of the tunnel, I take us back to 1929 during the Great Depression. What got us out of the Depression was entrepreneurship, and that is where people Mm -hmm. truly did put a stake in the sand and say, I am in control. I'm going to start building businesses to build a foundation for myself and my family, and that's what helped us turn the economy around. And I think more than ever today, we have that same situation um, so very few people feel safe and secure in their jobs. And as employees, you are basically at risk. Um, and it's not what you get do for your paycheck that I talk about. It's what you do with your paycheck. I'm not saying quit your mm-hmm. job. I'm saying, you know, if you enjoy your job, great. But understand that when you get that paycheck, it's up to you on how you're going to use that money. Are you going to use it to build your future or play in the present. And too many of us play in the present and forget the future. And it's so important that we take responsibility for our futures. And in doing so, make sure we educate our young people about the fact that they need to do that. And what I'm also seeing, Ron, is a lot of people in the baby boomer or 40s, 50s, where their children are about to go to college, taking mm-hmm. money out of their retirement plans to pay for the kids' college education. Right. And it, and right. it really does scare me because you can't borrow money for retirement, but you can borrow money to educate your kids. Absolutely right. And it also puts two generations at risk as opposed to just the one. Uh, so, you know, I guess uh, amen three times on, on, on those comments. One of the other things I worry about from the government's response to this uh, recession was that uh, the government stepped in with various programs to help the people who I call the ones with lower wealth DNA, uh, who fared the worst. Uh, and then we're talking mortgage modifications, a number of other programs geared to those people that uh, if you will, didn't handle their finances particularly well. Uh, and to me, that's a moral hazard that, first of all, we want the people that did better to pay more taxes to cover those programs. But secondly, it sends the message that it's okay to make mistakes. And uh, if you do well, we're not going to help you out. But if you do poorly, uh, we'll step in and help you. What are your thoughts? Well, that comes into, um, you know, the don't worry about it, the government will take care of us. And certainly right. that puts in this entitlement mentality. And and what these government programs do is they build on that entitlement thought. And the rest, the, the other people who have not um, stepped in to take service of that feel disenfranchised when they start seeing their, for instance, when the, the mortgage bubble broke, mm-hmm. um, it was re- due to a lot of just craziness in lending. And so those people who were really, playing by the rules and doing it the right way were right. impacted when their home values dropped and they got angry. And that and I, I talk about that a lot with my groups because that anger is real and you need to you know understand that it's real, but also understand that you have been disenfranchised and take that fear and that anger and turn it into taking care of yourself and rebuilding in a positive way. And so I think that that is a huge issue. And certainly when you look at the stats on what the 
we look at our national debt and we hear people talking about it a lot, but that national debt is huge, but the interest mm-hmm. that we have to pay on that is really staggering over the next 20 years. And that's what get, puts the fear in me. We really need to make sure we're taking care of ourselves and our families. I would just add something. You, you mentioned savings as, as one of those uh, shortfalls that most uh, Americans and probably most people around the world just don't uh, save enough. And I, should, well, I shouldn't say that. It's really more the Americans and a lot of the developed countries, but some of the Asian countries do extremely well at saving. But uh, part of it is actually forced by, by government programs. Uh, most people aren't aware that in order to be um, – on those entitlement programs, you can't have savings or maximum of $3,000 of savings beyond your own personal car. So most people would rather spend it than hang on to it so that they are eligible for those programs. So to me, it's, it's just a scary loop that somehow the, uh, uh, is, is being missed by, I think, both the government and most, uh, most people who aren't aware of those things. Yeah, it's, you get penalized for making good decisions, and that you know the same thing with a lot of the programs helping people that were underwater on their homes. Um, you know, if you had to be, you had to make sure you had missed payments and that you'd ruined your credit yes. and before you could get help. You know, what about those people who were still trying to make sure they kept their homes and they paid their mortgages even though they were upside down? And that's you know that's where you really that disenfranchising that anger comes from and it's valid it's valid and it's something that we as as americans we need to stand up and say wait a minute you know we're we're rewarding bad behavior right. how can we let's reward good behavior for a cha- for a change yeah well well said and i think the penalty for for doing the right things is is is, is a great phrase i may uh uh, use that more. Let me let me switch slightly on that same topic, though. To the millennials. The reason I keep hearing these these uh, young people who will be kind of the upcoming uh, next uh, group of uh, both working and um, uh, you know citizens in the normal uh, course of things out of school, no longer care about the American dream of home ownership. As they saw their parents lose their homes, their cars, and sometimes even file for bankruptcy. How do we get out of it? Is it just a matter of many generations before those folks uh, kind of stop being influenced by their parents' uh, mistakes? Well, absolutely. Certainly, when you think about it, I I take us back, our age group. If you think back Mm -hmm. at a time when we were growing up, our kids would say things like, we need to pinch our pennies, money doesn't grow on trees, do you think we're Mm -hmm. the Rockefellers? Those are all negative statements, and those are imprinted mm-hmm. on us, and we don't even realize it. But it actually oh, yeah. puts this negative fear inside us about money. So as we grow and we get older, there, there's this innate fear of scarcity as opposed to abundance. And so we really have to understand where that comes from. And when you look at what's happened in the last few years, on top of those types of comments, you're now adding the fear and negativity in a household of people who are under financial distress and you know, and those losing their homes and their cars and, and, and those having to file for bankruptcy. That negativity is, is definitely imprinting that younger generation. And I think on top of that, so we talk about, you know, you say the American dream of homeownership. Well, mm-hmm. all of that impacts that. But on top of that, we have to also be aware that the millennials are different than prior generations. Mm-hmm. They're not, they don't necessarily want to be tied down to one location, one area. And so they're making a, a conscious choice that they want to be mm-hmm. able to live where they want, when they want. And they tend to not want to plant roots. And so it's a combination of those two things that really is going to impact the real estate market. It becomes a better environment for investors who want to be able to rent homes to that millennial generation. But we also need to say home ownership itself may actually shift more from homeowners to investors who allow rental properties. Totally agree with you. Totally agree. The reality is our parents' financial skills, as, as we're both talking about here, heavily influence our ability to become wealthy. Uh, those negative uh, feelings in our subconscious that we've all grown up with, uh, just like the chicken or egg dilemma, do we focus on financial education for the parents or the kids? Well, I think it's very important to do both. 
Um, when I left the Rich Dad organization and I started Pay Your Family First in 2007, the first thing I did, I actually sat down and created a game specifically for that age group, 8 to 18, um, those teenagers mm-hmm. that are ready to get out into the real world. And one of the reasons I did it was to take the emotion out of parents trying to t- t- talk about money and it always gets personal, well, how much do you make, Mom and Dad? Or, you know, mm-hmm. why aren't you doing mm-hmm. that, Mom and Dad? And so the game is called Thrive Time for Teens, T-H-R-I-V-E, Thrive Time for Teens. And we've won all kinds of awards, but the greatest thing about it it is it teaches the basics of financial education and teaches young people that they are in the driver's seat of their own lives and that every decision they make either drives them to success or dives them into debt. So it teaches that personal responsibility, and it's done with great humor. And so the greatest award I get is when I see young people play it, and they love it, and they mm-hmm. have fun. But the the side effect, which I love, is when parents and teens play it together. There you go. The parents end up learning as much about the teens, they le- and they learn more about money for themselves. And it also opens their eyes to certain decisions they may be making that are digging a big, deeper hole for them as it relates to debt and financial distress. So you're suggesting somewhere kind of subtly in there that dad watching the uh, football game, kids playing video games, uh, and mom off doing something totally different may not be the best uh, solution for America, which seems to be what everybody's favorite activities are these days, that may be doing what one of the positives we did have is growing up. uh, TV wasn't wasn't a big central figure of our lives. uh, Play games as a family, and uh, of course they weren't educational games yet, but it did give us family time together and the ability to share and learn from each other and to uh, talk about things uh, like you, you did with your kids at McDonald's. I mean, to me, these are great opportunities that uh, everybody could take advantage of if they just kind of change their style of life. Are, are, am, am I incorrect in reading that and what you're saying? No, absolutely. And it also brings laughter into the situation. But it's also something that you're going to see your teens on one of the greatest greatest emails or texts I ever got was after we had uh, gone out into the schools because we go all over the country and and have Mm -hmm. programs in the schools using the game and we do competitions and but one of the teachers had gone to her local McDonald's and there were some of her students playing the game sitting at a table in McDonald's and so they you know that tells you that that they were enjoying it enough, and they they say, well, why aren't they teaching me this in school? This is what I need to know. This is real-life education. And so it's really – that, and it's so simple to provide that to your teens. And my mm-hmm. the, the game Thrive Time for Teens is under $50, so it's not a huge investment, but it's a huge reward for your teens. The gift of financial education is the gift of a lifetime. And why not provide and give your teens a financial head start? I mean, it's criminal that we are not teaching it in school. And yes, I'm working very hard to get that changed. But we, we, we're going to have a lost generation if we don't take it into our own power to teach our young people. And some, and what I'm trying to answer the call here is, a lot of adults, a lot of people say, well, I don't know enough about money to teach it. Well, yes, you do. Play this game have the opportunity to sit and experience it. It's the experience that these teens remember. And this gives them a safe environment to make mistakes and realize that bad decisions are theirs and bad decisions are going to impede their progress. Good decisions are theirs to own and be proud of and will speed their way to success. And here's an unsolicited comment that... um $50 investment does not include the obligation of a two-year contract for airtime. <laughs> Which many phones do, and we spend far more on phones than that. Well, I don't, but most people do. But before we continue, in case you just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. You can listen to the earlier portion of the archive, or if you missed prior shows, you'll find them on the archives, wealthdna.us. Today our guest is Sharon Lecter. CPA, prolific author and co-author of about 19 books and developer of the Cashflow Board Game, and many others, including Thrive Time for Teens, which we were just discussing. 
Sharon, you just launched a new book, a title similar to Napoleon's, uh, Napoleon Hill's very classic and, 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 and you know, kind of most important books, Think and Grow Rich, which is now the basis probably of hundreds of other books and seminars. Uh, tell us a little bit about that book, and, and I guess let me start with, it sounds like you're working with the Napoleon Hill Foundation in order to use that title. It's a huge honor, Ron. When I left the Rich Dad organization in 2007, um, we talk about the phone calls we get can be turning points in our lives. And mm-hmm. um, I got a phone call from Don Green, who's the CEO of the, of the Napoleon Hill Foundation. So three of my last four books have been in cooperation with the Napoleon Hill Foundation. The first one was Three Feet from Gold, and the mm-hmm. second one was Outwitting the Devil, which was actually a hidden manuscript that Napoleon Hill had written. It was hidden oh. away for over 70 years a life-changing book on how to uh, how to overcome fear and negativity in your life. Um, his wife didn't like the title, and so she forbid it from being published. So it was a huge honor for me to release that. But as we were releasing that book, um, I was, again, talking to Don Green, and we were looking at what was happening in the world of business for women. And I was really getting concerned about how negative women were, about the mm-hmm. glass ceiling, about, you know, just... And the whole concept of Think and Grow Rich is the law of attraction and positive mental attitude. And I wanted to change that conversation from negativity to one of celebration of the accomplishments women have made. And so in cooperation with them, I wrote Think and Grow Rich for Women, which was released in June of this year. And I'm just so proud of it because it is a celebration. I I acknowledge and highlight over 300 women in the book and it follows the exact same format as the original Think and Grow Rich book, Ron. And each chapter is the same. And each chapter I start off with a synopsis of Napoleon Hill's originally concept. And then all of the 13 steps to success. And then I look at that step. So it might be mm-hmm. faith or persistence, perseverance, through the eyes of successful women. Then I talk about how I've used that particular step in my own life, in my own career uh. path. And I end the chapter with what I call the Sisterhood Mastermind with quotes from various women, women of history, women in education, women in politics, women CEOs, women entrepreneurs. So, again, anybody reading the book will say, I don't agree with that, but definitely right on, this is what I agree with. And at the end of each chapter, I turn it right back to the reader because that's why I'm writing the book is for all those women out there for them to say, how have I already used this particular step in my career path? How can I celebrate the success I've already had? And what can I do today, tomorrow, or next week to employ more of that into my life so I can speed my pathway to success? Huge project, wonderful project, loved it, and so excited by the response I've had from it. Now, are men allowed to read this book as well? Absolutely. My, I actually highlight the afterward of the book. I have a dozen or more men who comment on it that are champions for women. Um, anybody out there that has a wife, a daughter, a female partner, women in their lives, this is a great book to start opening your eyes to the fact that we actually do think differently than men. And I resisted mm-hmm. doing a book for women for many years, Ron, because I really felt the steps of success were the same for men and women. And right, I absolutely, right. I still believe that today. But in the, as I enter more of the twilight of my career, I realize that while the steps to success are the same, we tend to approach those steps quite differently between men and women. And that's what I wanted to highlight. I wanted to highlight the methodology of employing those steps of success for each and every one of us so that we can open our eyes. And and the original Thinking Grow Rich, which you talked about, was released in 1937 mm-hmm. at a time when all the titans of business were men. And so it inherently had more of a male-centric flavor as you read the book. And so I wanted to take that and say we need to give it a female flavor so that women can relate to it and enjoy it and employ it for their own lives. Now, with that, exactly on that topic, you made a comment at that um, recent talk, which I was able to attend, about the very, which to me, I walked away with a very optimistic view of the future for the global economy, not just here in the U.S. or or just uh, uh, for the local economy. Then in the past, only 50% of the population really contributed to the economy or were heavily involved in the economy. Share that concept with our listeners. 
Oh, absolutely. It was actually employed, the comment was by Warren Buffett. He said, women are the greatest key to the future of our economy. He says, you know, imagine up to this point, we've really only employed 50% of the brain power, and when you bring 100% of the brain power to the table, imagine what can happen. And um, But then he also followed that with the other issue that I think is so important is that he said women tend to hold themselves back. And so when that was the whole purpose of Think and Growth for Women because I do believe the number one issue for women is a lack of self-confidence, a lack of self-confidence in stepping into your own power. And that's something that I really want to support women in discovering their own power and standing in their own power and understanding that they have the ability. Women already control 60% of the personal wealth in the United States. Women already make 85% of all consumer decisions and influence probably all the rest. But we make those decisions, we spend the money, but we're not educating ourselves. And when we look at the future, in the next three decades, women are going to inherit close to $4 trillion globally. So with that type of financial power comes a financial responsibility. As women, we need to educate ourselves so that not only as we start receiving that money, that we know how to responsibly manage it and employ it so that it can generate additional revenue in the future for our families and for the global economy. Well said. And it doesn't say that men don't need to do the same, but in very many cases they've had a little bit more exposure or have been involved in those things. And as you're saying, they're not the ones that are necessarily being inheriting that wealth and have to deal with it uh, later and haven't dealt with it. So very, very important point that uh, women, as well as men, need to uh, have that uh, financial education. And uh, women just are going to carry a bigger burden as, as they get older. Very, very uh, well said. Let me look at the flip side of that one for a second, Sharon, which is a listener who might be unemployed that's currently uh, worried that, well, if women get more involved and and take over more of the jobs and get involved in the economy, for example, that means more competition for fewer job openings. Uh, How would you respond to those uh, few people? Well, that, again, is looking into a world of scarcity versus a world of abundance, And um, it is happening. It's a reality. So when you look at the future of the world, women are already more than 50% of professional and managerial jobs. So you can hold yourself back in fear and anger um, because you don't think it's fair, or you can say, okay, that's a reality, so what am I going to do to put myself out there to be able to get the job that I want? How am I going to take control of my own financial life? How can I create my own business so that I can... The great, the most successful businesses do one of two things, solve a problem or serve a need. And so we all know that there's a lot of problems and there's a lot of needs out there. And so each and every one of us, it's a level playing field when you become an entrepreneur. You have the opportunity to create a business and educate yourself on how to do that. And so... Um, you know, my goal in everything I do, Ron, whether it be for men, women, families, young people, entrepreneurs, is to have them take, we are all in the driver's seat of our own lives, and we mm-hmm. are responsible for the decisions we make. And so it's so important to go into the future with a positive positive attitude instead of a negative one, and that's something that so many people are feeling besieged in that negativity, that fear, does one of two things, paralyzes us. And when you paralyze by fear, you insulate, you isolate, and things get worse. Or you use that fear and negativity to motivate you and say, I am going, not going to stay in this place of fear and negativity. I'm going to go out, I'm going to meet new people, I'm going to expand my network, I'm going to look for new opportunities. And so take that fear and that worry and use it as motivation to get out there and make new connections. Boy, and that kind of reminds me of a little phrase at the very top of your website. You are the CEO of your own life. 
very important saying, and I know a lot of people, if they haven't looked at your website yet, should take a look at that, and, and it echoes exactly the sentiment you just shared, so uh, well said. And uh, obviously you live uh, a, a motto, it's not just on your website. Well, it's just so important for each of us, and um, we live in a world where it has become the game of choice to play victim and to lay blame on other people or circumstances. And that's, you know, the whole concept of entitlement is you know, is somebody else's responsibility for taking care of me. And that's the horn that I'm tooting and the the, the message that I'm shouting from whatever mountaintop I can get to mm-hmm. is that, you know, we the way we turn this around is for each and every one of us to take control of what we can, and that's our own wallets and our own activities and our own decisions and um, start focusing internally on what we can do to improve our lives as opposed to looking for other people to become our saviors. There you go. Your efforts have uh, really launched, as we've discussed, kind of the increased awareness and focus on financial literacy and financial education. How do you see that effort evolving over the next 20 to 50 years? Well, my personal effort, um, we've just finished a college curriculum to address the very need that you brought up at the top of the hour, and that is this, the incredible amount of college debt. And so we're starting with those, those uh, financial aid offices to say, you know, if you're going to let a child take out a lot of debt, let's have them take this course so at least they understand money. And whether we can get them in high school or college is so important that we teach young people this vital skill and vital understanding before they get themselves into mountains of debt. And so that curriculum I've just finished, and we're just now starting to market that, Ron. So I'm very excited to see how we can get that um, picked up across the country. It's so important that we um, bring this important information to young people, and, and it covers all aspects of money. I'm also um, now back on and be reappointed to the Financial Literacy Commission with the AICPA, the American Institute of Certified Mm -hmm. Public Accountants. So I'm working with them to spread the need for financial literacy and education across the country. Obviously, we're still working with high school students in the Thrive Time for Teens program, and I've been honored. I just returned from Shanghai, the Shanghai Women's Mm -hmm. Federation, to again spread this message for women to take control of their own futures, whether whether you're married in a two-income household, to understand that women are unique individual financially. We In the United States, so many women don't understand that they have their own credit score and they need to pay attention to their own credit score. So should something happen to their husband through death, divorce, that they have the ability to stand in their own right. And that's something that's a huge, huge issue in America particularly, where women tend to give up their financial um, control and let the man take care of it. It's so important that we understand that we have to prepare ourselves for the future. As you said uh, once before, a man is not a plan. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. Now, looking into your crystal ball, uh, we're we're looking now 50 years ahead. Uh, Who will be the drivers of the efforts that you've launched? Will it be the schools, the parents, individuals like us, companies, uh, probably not the government, but, you know, who will be the the, the driver uh, moving this forward um, in addition to Sharon Lecter? Well, my crystal ball, um, I wish I had one. The, the the reason I am involved in all of the areas that I am, one being the, it, you know, certainly the um, CPAs across the country have, a, mm-hmm. I believe, a responsibility to educate as well as serve their clients. And so I'm, I'm really looking to th- that organization to continue um, tooting the horn and providing financial education. I'm looking at parents becoming more aware of the responsibility they have to make sure their kids are prepared for the financial world they face. And, of course, the colleges and schools have a responsibility, but anybody listening to this show that has ever dealt with school systems knows that, that you know it's like turning that barge around. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to, number one, get the law passed, Then it's not an easy thing to employ it and to get individual schools to employ it. This is a long-term process, so we know it's going to take years to get that changed. 
And of course, with all the requirements and the demands put on teachers already, it's it's there's a resistance to anything new. And and then there's also that reluctance of teachers feeling like they're not they're not competent to teach the subject, which is again inherently why I create programs that mm-hmm. don't need teachers that are self-taught. The curriculum is in the program. And so just exposing it to the kids, you give them the gift that they need. But this is a it's a joint responsibility, Ron. I think we've got um, corporations have an incredible opportunity to bring financial education inside the corporation as a benefit to their employees because certainly over the last few years, one of the highest rates of um, you know, absenteeism was because of financial stress. And when an employee is sitting at their desk trying to do their work and they're getting collection calls or they're, get, you know, they're mm-hmm. in fear of somebody coming to re- repossess their car in the parking lot, do you think they're 100% effective at their job? Of course they're not. No. And so it's really inherently um, a, a self-fulfilling prom- prophecy. And so corporations who are investing in financial education for their employees are getting a double benefit. They're getting happier employees, and they're getting the ability to have more attention to the job when they're on the job. Let's remind our listeners how they contact you and learn more about what you're doing in this whole area of financial literacy and hopefully get inspired to uh, pick up the the, uh, wand that's uh, somewhere along the line and maybe help in their own ways. Uh, What's the website again? The website is SharonLector.com, and Lecter is L-E-C-H-T-E-R. And um, if they want to text me, they can text to 313131, the word money, and you'll get a free report Ooh. from us on 10 ways to avoid obstacles in money, money mishaps, in addition to some other free materials. So just text me 313131 and the word money and we will give mm-hmm. you some free gifts. Oh, very cool. I'm glad you mentioned that one. I wasn't aware of it, so I'm going to make sure we, we, we highlight that at the end of my summary. Uh, we've covered a lot of aspects of financial literacy today, where we've been and, and uh, where we are and where we're going. What are some of the key points you'd like to emphasize or maybe add to our conversation? Well, the key point that I, I like to bring up, and certainly as I celebrated my 60th birthday this year, has become more apparent to me, is that there is really only one limited resource in our lives, and that's time. Mm-hmm. We can lose money and make it back. We can um, build businesses and lose them or sell them. We can um, raise our children. But time is the only thing we cannot get back. And it's so important that each and every one of us think about what's happening in your world today. What is it? What action can you take today to change the future of your life, whether it be physically, medically, emotionally, monetarily, business-wise? Each and every one of us evaluate your life and say, what do I need to do to make my life better, to extend my life, to improve the financial foundation of my life? And the last chapter of Think and Grow Rich for Women, Ron, was mm-hmm. called One Big Life. It was not in the original book because I really want to mm-hmm. dispel this work-life balance myth. It's just guilt and shame that people create. They try to achieve this work-life mm-hmm. balance, and unimaginable goal, and there is no balance in life. Balance means you're not moving. We are all moving all the time, multitasking. And so make the day. Every morning you have the opportunity to choose how you spend your time that day. Don't worry about what you did yesterday. Maybe yesterday you spent too much time with your business and not enough with your kids. So you can make a different choice Mm -hmm. today. But have the goal for one big life, one filled with love, money, children, business, because all of them are part of who you are and be the best you can. Wow. Great message. Uh, didn't know that about the last chapter, so uh, I know you had mentioned this as, as one of the topics in your in your talk, but uh, glad to know. So I do need to pick up a few copies of the book, especially as, as gifts, and obviously some of them the audio versions, <coughs> excuse me, so I can listen. 
and uh, sounds like a great book, another one in the great series of things you've uh, you've done over the years. Uh, it's really been a great honor having you on the show, and you've recommended a great list of guests for the, the series on uh, financial literacy, and I hope you'll agree to join us again sometime in the future. I would look forward to it and be honored to be part of it, and I want to acknowledge you, Ron, for creating this opportunity for people to continue to learn more about money and improve their financial situation. Thank you. I will coach you on that one. I <laughs> appreciate that. Thank you so much for being with us, Sharon. My pleasure. My honor. Thank you. Wow, what a legacy Sharon Lecter has created in the uh, first half of her life. Can you imagine how much more she'll accomplish in the next 30 years with our help and the help of, of so many others she's inspired? If you happen to be one of the few people who have not read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, what are you waiting for? Or if it Somehow, someone stopped and asked you to, to share three to five key lessons from that book because they hadn't read it, and you couldn't do it off the top of your head. Maybe it's time to reread it. If you happen to be like me with limited time to read, it is available as many of these books, including her newest, as an audio book. Do you have the cash flow board game or some of the newer ones, the Thrive Time for Teens at your home? Well, think about it. Maybe it's a good time to get it. It is indeed a wonderful game. Each of these are for teaching kids and teens and, and, and then adults the concepts of the Rich Dad series of books. If you have kids at home, maybe I'll step out and even say, and I'm going to step out on a limb here saying that you're not being the best parent you could be if you don't have them at home. Or maybe you could at least join some neighbors or friends to play those games with them. Now, why do I make these suggestions? Just remember the quote I shared at the beginning of the show that uh, Robert Kiyosaki and Sharon Lecter um, said in, in one of their books, keys to wealth is increasing business skills, investing skills, and money management skills. I'm absolutely confident, and I will almost guarantee that buying a larger TV screen, a newest, the newest cell phone or a new tablet computer or pad will not get you closer to becoming wealthy. Whereas the cash flow game in each of the 19 books Sharon Lecter has authored or co-authored will. If you've read all of the books in the Rigid Ad series, reflect on a simple question. Have you implemented most of the recommendations in those books? If you have, you certainly already are wealthy. And maybe buying extra copies of those books and the four books Sharon Lecter has uh, published recently would be great presents for birthdays and during the upcoming holiday season, along with those games. We talked a little bit about the newest book, Think and Grow Rich for Women, but we didn't get a chance to discuss a book she just mentioned briefly, Three Feet from Gold, which uses a story for and remind you of many key lessons in Napoleon Hill's books. One month ago, I did something I rarely do. I suggest that you see a movie, Queen of Versailles. It serves as a wonderful example of a successful businessman who earned a great deal of money. Now contrast that real-life story with successful people who understand the concept Sharon Lecter espouses. I refer to those people as having high-wealth DNA. She might refer to them as being financially literate because they understand the fundamentals of not just earning money, but also investing and managing it to withstand economic rainy days, monsoons, and even tsunamis. So the bottom line, having a great business model and having great execution are both necessary for building a major business empire, but not sufficient. Financial literacy and learning from the advice of other millionaires might be the missing ingredient in a hopefully wealthy DNA radio show helps fill or narrow that gap over time. Now, using the terminology from Dr. Thomas Stanley and Dr. William Danko, we would refer to David Siegel, who is the man featured in that documentary movie, as an ISA, Income Sheet Affluent. The truly wealthy, other, on the other hand, are BSAs, Balance Sheet Affluent. So earning a lot of money is good, but accumulating income-generating assets, which you all know as IGAs, is far better, especially during economic tsunamis. A key lesson in financial literacy. Now, regular listeners know that our objective is to share the investment fundamentals and inform you of investments that could build your wealth. We want to also help one million other people become millionaires and just as important to stay wealthy throughout your life. 
If you missed part of today's show, the link in the announcement will take you to the archive version. Of course, you'll always find the full list of past shows on our website, www.wealthdna.us. I'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area, for helping us put together this show. And incidentally, they remind me they're actively searching for additional houses in the Phoenix area, often paying a premium and the sellers can avoid realtor commissions. And I'd like to remind you, I'm looking for your favorite techniques for income tax management so we can share a number of good ideas to pay enough but not too much in income taxes legally, of course. Our next show will be the second in our series on financial literacy, Taking Responsibility with Nick Lowry, who many of you will remember as the NFL star, Nick the Kick Lowry. He is now focusing on financial literacy and will share several alternatives blaming your parents, teachers, and friends for limiting your success. Some good alternatives, because those don't necessarily help. The Wealthy Nate Radio Show will be the fourth Monday of October. That's October 27th, 9 a.m. Arizona. Same place and same time? Well, sort of. For listeners in the U.S., there will be no time change. But if our listeners in Europe, you'll change your clocks on Sunday, October 26th. The show will be one hour earlier. We always have the lineup of guests and topics on WealthDNA.us, and there you'll also find the archive of past shows, including today's, very shortly. If you have comments or questions, if you haven't received my emails reminding you about the show, send an email to me, ron at WealthDNA.us, or follow The Ronald on Facebook or Twitter, and that's all one word, The Ronald. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy investing, as well as reading or rereading some of the great books and maybe playing cash flow with family and friends. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started.